1: Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Resiliency and Running Podcast. My name is Liz and I will be your host. Today I'm so excited to welcome back a guest that we've had on before. It's Steph Still and she is the owner of What Was Funship Blog, but she talks all about sobriety and wellness and I'm so excited to have her back for a very special episode. So sit back and relax and we will just jump right into the episode.
0: All right. I'm so excited to have Steph back on the podcast. I've had her on the podcast before and we did an episode around college binge drinking and it was such an eye-opening episode and I got a lot of positive feedback from that. And I think this topic is just something that you can like never stop talking about because I think it's not talked about enough. And I think Stephanie's doing amazing things to open up that conversation more and more. And If you, I'll have her kind of link her stuff and I'll put it in the show notes as well, but she's got a lot of cool stuff going on. She has a lot of virtual meetings. She's got an incredible Instagram account and I love kind of watching her journey, but I'll let you introduce yourself and just share a bit more about you. Yeah. So thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I remember
2: the first time I was on, it was like, I think you were the first person to ever interview me for a podcast. And I was like, this is so, <laughs> cool. so very honored to be back. Hopefully I sound a bit better in this one. Cause I remember being super nervous for that one, but oh. anyway, so yeah, I'm Steph. I just turned 23 in September. I graduated from Cal Poly in June and I got sober just 6 months after i turned 21 which is the legal drinking age in the united states so 6 months into my junior year of college and that was after just dealing with a super unhealthy relationship with alcohol for years and years and if you want to hear more about that you can listen to the last episode cuz that's where i really dive in deep but yeah since then i i knew i wanted to be vocal about my story i just didn't really know what so at first i started a blog and i didn't want to have my face associated with it. And then as I got more comfortable talking about it, I started to show my face and then I started an Instagram page. And now that has become a YouTube channel and a blog and Instagram page and I'm running meetings. So it's just grown into something that I never really thought it would grow into, but I'm super excited about the community that I've built and just the conversation that I and all all these people and you are starting about alcoholism and just having an unhealthy relationship with alcohol at this age, you know, in college and after college and before college, even because it's just something that's definitely not talked about enough. And I know when I was going through my issues with alcohol, I thought I was the only one my age going through them because it's so stigmatized that sobriety is just and alcoholism is just like the guy under the bridge with a paper bag. You know, it's not like, a former sorority girl like myself. So, yeah, I've been sober now for over a year and a half and have just had so many so much mental space now that I don't drink to kind of realize the other aspects of my life that need healing and you know, it's never just about the alcohol. It's never just that you can't drink. It's because you're usually trying to cover up something else. So, I've realized that one of those things is my relationship with food and my body and so now I'm really diving deeper into my eating disorder, which we can totally get into my whole story later, but yeah,
0: that's just a little about me. Yeah. And I think Stephanie and I both met by like this um, community group in 2020. And that was when I really started to take a break from alcohol myself. And like, I can totally relate to that. And I think it's such an eye-opening thing when you stop drinking. And I know that like some people will do like, you know, dry January and like things like that. But I think challenging myself to do it for, I think I did it for like six months. And it was just like in those six months, I think I experienced so much like mental growth, but also just like, I went through so many like different things that I just had been trying to cover up with food for years and I just remember when we did this episode together around like the college binge drinking culture like that's something that people just like everyone graduates and then like you just don't really talk about it and you don't talk about how often you drink and that's something that I've noticed so much here I know like even though people in the UK do like have their own like drinking habits it just like does not compare to like the different weird traditions that were just like terrible, like splitting a fifth and stuff like that in college. And people just like, did not believe me. And they were like, what? Like, that's insane. And I think that it's just like, yeah, it's, it's something that you have to talk about so much more. And then, you know, when you stop drinking and you stop trying to cover up all those things, I think like things like that kind of come up. And I think, you know, with the eating disorder as well. Basically, Stephanie came out with a video. I can't remember how long ago it was, but it was linking her eating disorder with alcoholism. And watching that video was like, it's somehow just like, there was like a light bulb that kind of went off in my head because for so long, I was just like, you know, in college, I used to have these wild nights out and I would black out and I just wouldn't remember a lot of nights, but I would always have these weird sort of like mannerisms and weird habits. Before I'd go out drinking and it'd be like, you know, I wouldn't want to eat too much before. So I wasn't bloated or so that I could get drunk faster, even though I had built like a pretty heavy tolerance over time. And, Mm -hmm. and then I think like linking like the eating disorder as well, like I've talked a lot about my anorexia on the podcast, so I won't kind of go into it too much. But I think you know, when you link it with your alcoholism and you link it to like, you know, knowing that you're going to have a big weekend or there's like a football game that weekend. So it's like day drinking and stuff. So it's like, okay, I'm going to exercise extra this week and I'm going to eat less because I know that I'm going to have like that big weekend and never really looking at that and thinking like, that might be an unhealthy thing. But yeah, I, I just remember like watching that video of yours, and I'll have that linked in the show notes as well, because I think it just like perfectly outlines like how that links and how and I think it's just like the fact that you link that. I just feel like you know people don't talk about that enough. And I think that that's something that I feel like so many girls probably in the sorority community could probably relate to as well. Because I think even just like watching older girls do you know certain things or just following like other girls and wanting to look like them and be like them. Like there are just so many different underlying issues that kind of like all correlated to that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I remember coming up or yeah coming up with the idea for that video because one of my friends who when i was like deep in the depths of my eating disorder she was like the one person who was like really noticing and like pointing it out and trying to get me help and so she actually texted me and said her professor she was like learning in a class that her professor said anorexia and alcoholism are very comorbid you know meaning that they happen together a lot and so that's when i kind of it clicked and i was like oh that that makes so much sense, I feel like, because people with eating disorders, I mean, not everyone, but a lot of them do have issues with food. And what I've come to realize, and I'm sure it's different for from every for everyone, but it's for me, it's a control aspect. So the control around your food. And so when I was, I guess I'll just get into my story a little yeah. bit. So just a little bit of background. So I was never formally diagnosed with an eating disorder, but- I would, I guess, self-diagnose myself with orthorexia in about eighth grade where I saw a Tumblr post that said, work out to wear whatever you want. And it was a picture of a girl with a completely flat stomach. And up until that point, I have never thought about my body aesthetically. I played soccer. So I just thought, you know, I can run and I can do these cool things with my body, but I never thought about how it looked. And then that was the first time where I was like, I looked down at my stomach and I was like, oh, it's definitely not flat. So I must be doing something wrong. And I think that was when I was 13 or 14. And so I became obsessed with, you know, losing that belly fat and looking like that girl in the photo. And so I started exercising a lot. I started doing my mom's Jillian Michaels six week six pack workout tape and then wasn't seeing results after doing that for a while. And so then somehow on Tumblr again, which. I have so many things to say about Tumblr, but on Tumblr again, I saw another post that talked about how, you know, if you're not seeing results, it could be because your diet. And then that was the first time that I started thinking, oh, maybe my diet's the problem because at this point in my life, I was eating cookies for lunch and Cheetos at school. And then I was coming home and eating like four pieces of toast with Nutella. So I just wasn't treating my body in a healthy way, but I was also so young, so it didn't really matter. But that was the first time that I started to do a bunch of research about nutrition and I became super obsessed with nutrition, but not healthy way. It was all for aesthetic reasons, not really to make myself healthier. So became really obsessed with nutrition, started counting calories, counting serving sizes, and only eating the serving sizes. Um And I was thinking about this the other day, and I don't really remember like a time between when I was, when I had like, quote unquote, belly fat. And then when I was super skinny, it just all happened so fast in my mind. So I ended up, getting really thin. And I wasn't noticing it because I had developed this eating disorder brain that was telling me I was, I needed to lose more weight and I was still fat. And so it wasn't until my mom and my friends started noticing it and coming up to me and pointing it out. And so that was really hard to hear, but I ended up going to a doctor and he asked me, you know, did you... And at this point, my my heart rate was like half of what it should have been. My hair was falling out. It was just not good at all. And the doctor asked me, did you intend to lose all this weight? And I was like, no, because I it wasn't really weight loss wasn't my goal. It was to get like abs and lose belly fat. So I was so young and I didn't really understand. So I was like, no, it wasn't. So then that's, I think why I never got diagnosed. He was like, oh, this was, this wasn't intentional. You just have to start eating more and stop playing sports and get your weight back up. So that's what I did with him and, or with his help. And I never really saw a therapist. I tried to go to one, but I didn't end up liking her. And so I like to say that I healed physically. So I'm at a healthy weight and I was at a healthy weight, but I never healed mentally. But then also right around that time, I started drinking sophomore year of high school. And I think I liked drinking one because it gave me my first actual like high school friends. Like before then I had just come into high school with the same friends that I'd always had. And so drinking was my way to like expand my social circle. So I liked it because of that. And then I also liked it because it allowed my brain to kind of slow down and not care about what I was eating. So before I would be thinking about everything I was eating, but when I was drinking, you know, we'd go to McDonald's after our high school football games and I would just get two McChickens and like not even think about it because I was drunk. And so it Alcohol allowed me to really slow down and say kind of fuck it to the food rules, which was something I was never able to do. So I think I really leaned into it for that reason. And so, yeah, then pretty soon my drinking habits kind of took center stage over my eating disorder habits. So my drinking started to get out of control. So then I started controlling my food and my exercise regimen more. So it was kind of one or the other. And when I started blacking out a lot, my focus only became how do I get a handle on that? I just never really thought about my eating disorder, never really thought it was an issue. And so when we got to college, which we've talked about was when I was noticing those same behaviors, like you were saying, like a lot of harmful behaviors that contributed to the ED, but I wasn't really making that connection. So not eating before I went out. So I didn't look bloated or obsessively like saving calories for the alcohol. And, you know, if you have a big drinking weekend, like working out super Hard so that I looked good in my, my tiny outfit that I was planning on wearing or just like working out excessively to burn off more calories so that I could drink more during the weekend. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, alcohol really did give me that freedom from the food. So now that I don't drink, I've had to focus on my eating my fear food, but being fully present. It's not like I can use alcohol to just, you know, not care anymore. So I have to be fully present when I'm eating. And that's what's been hard. And that's what's kind of, I feel like allowed me to think that I haven't made that much progress. But it is nice because I have had you know, more time to focus on this aspect of my life that need healing. And like we've talked about sobriety, isn't just about quitting drinking. It's about figuring out all the things that you're trying to cover up with your drinking.
0: No, but I can totally relate to like, you know, everything that you talk about around, you know, losing your hair and the really low blood pressure and stuff like that. And like, it's, it's, it's such a scary thing, but it's like, because of everything online, because of like what we saw and like, I can totally relate to the Tumblr stuff. And it's just like the way that like everything was depicted online was like, you have to be like thin and you have to have lines on your stomach and a thigh gap. And like, for me, like the thigh gap was like, I wanted a thigh gap so bad, but like, I grew up playing loads of soccer, like you, and just like, you know, with soccer, like you don't, I mean, some girls have a thigh gap because they're just like really tall and thin, but just like my body wasn't built for a thigh gap, but it's like, I wanted to work so hard to obtain a thigh gap. And I just remember, like, I kind of feel the same about like how you were saying that you kind of like, it felt like you just like blacked out because it was like at one stage, you were like one weight. And then suddenly you lost all the weight because I don't really remember the in-between either. And like, mm-hmm. it just felt like at one point, like I, you know, I thought it was fat. I thought it was fat. I thought it was fat. I it was fat. And then all of a sudden I dropped a load of weight and people were telling me that I was really thin and it suddenly became like, you know, oh, you know, I'm really thin and I've just lost all this weight. And, and I just remember, and I've spoke about this before, just like, for me, it was always about numbers. And I always focused on like, whether it was like calories or the number on the scale And I always thought that like, if I got to a certain number on the weight that I'd like feel this like overwhelming amount of like happiness and like serotonin and, and it just never came. And that was like, my big thing was like, you know, I was like working so hard to Mm -hmm. get to this number and get to this like goal weight. And like, I got there and it was just like, not, it wasn't as fulfilling as I thought it would be. And I yeah, it was just really tough. And then, but like at that time when I was like trying to like initially at the very beginning of my, of my recovery journey, we moved from California to Washington. And that aspect of like control was like, I think it was like instilled even more when I had my eating disorder and then like take that and like, you know, families moving to a different state starting over. And it was like my junior year of high school. And like, that's when I started drinking because I actually like hadn't drank freshman and sophomore year. And I was like a total geek. And then I, you know, moved to Washington and I was like, okay, how do I make friends? And then as soon as I went to my first party, I was just like, oh, okay. So if I start drinking, then like I'll make friends and I'll be cool. And I won't just be the new girl. And like, suddenly it became like, oh, you know, if you can drink this much, it just, it seemed like a cool thing to be able to like, take like you know three shots in a row or something and just do like crazy stupid things but like at the time it was just like okay this is gonna make me cool and this is gonna make people like me and like you know I'll seem like I, I don't know not as lame as just like the new girl and it was and I think that that just kind of carries to college and it gets like I don't know just like it gets even more instilled in college especially with like the group system mm-hmm.
2: yeah that was I can definitely relate to that. I want to speak to two things that you said. One was, you know, reaching your goal weight and thinking that you'll have this moment of euphoria where you're very happy. And I'm actually, I'm so I don't consider myself fully recovered from my eating disorder because I'm still trying to work through some of the thoughts, but definitely have made a lot of progress and proud of myself for that. But I'm currently reading this book that my therapist recommended to me called Eight Keys to Recovering from an Eating Disorder. So it has different, it just, I'm only on chapter two, but chapter two is talking about like your healthy self versus your eating disorder self and how to distinguish the two and how to make the healthy self like more in control. And one of the things they talk about is just, you know, like not affirmations, but I guess they are affirmations that your healthy self can say when your eating disorder voice is starting to take over. And one of them is, I know that I have a distorted image of my body and I don't see myself the way others do. And two, I can't remember exactly the wording, but, you know, reaching a goal weight or reaching getting abs or something is not a long term solution for the mental battle that you have in your head. You know, I have had abs and I've gotten to that point and I've still tried to go for more. I've still not liked my body when I was there and i i think the best telltale sign of that is like looking back at old pictures of myself where i remember seeing those pictures years ago and being like oh i look so fat and now i look at them and i'm like i was so thin and i just couldn't see it in the moment so it's all mental and i something on another podcast i talked about was her name's Kate Noel and she talked about how you know losing weight and getting to a goal body is not a long-term solution the only long-term solution is acceptance of your body at whatever stage you're at. And so that's something that I'm really trying to work on. And just the constant going back and forth of, you know, catching a bad angle of your body in the mirror and then restricting because you don't like the way you look. It's just a constant cycle. Whereas if you just learn to accept what your body looks like and you maybe catch yourself at a bad angle, or maybe you just don't like the way you look, you know that you don't have to restrict to get to a different body. Because if you can just be happy with where you're at now, you can be happy in all stages of your body and your body is going to change no matter what throughout your life as you get older. So that's why I think it's so important to get a hold of this as soon as possible, because I just, if, I don't know, I've seen friends, moms who kind of have their own body image issues. And if you, I think the earlier that you can learn to accept your body as it changes, the better off you are for the rest of your life. So that's just one little point, but also wanted to speak on the point about, you know, entering college and high school. I definitely can relate to that. I was also kind of a nerd in freshman and sophomore year. I would stay home and do homework on Friday nights because I really cared about my grades rather than going to our high school football games. And my sister was the one who started drinking and, you know, getting more friends that way. And at one point I was just so fed up with kind of being home alone and just feeling like none of my friends wanted to hang out with me. So I don't remember when the first time I drank was, but I just started to and started noticing I was getting more friends. And I immediately related that to, you know, me being fun. And I I don't think I made that connection until I stopped drinking and dealt with the social anxiety. But I came to realize, like, I never learned how to make friends without alcohol, like in my older age, like when you're a kid. Obviously, it's a lot easier to make friends, but I, I never learned how to socialize in high school and meet new people without alcohol. So I just immediately resorted to that when I went to college and was meeting all these new people, was joining a sorority and feeling like all the events were centered around drinking. So that's just something that I had to do. And I was honestly excited to because I, I did like to drink. But yeah, that's just a good point about how feeling like you need to fit in with, the drinking culture. And I'm still feeling that now, even though I don't drink, like I still sometimes am like, am I lame for not wanting to go out to the bars? Because I'm in my 20s. Like this is what I should be doing. But it's just not super fun for me anymore now that I don't drink. But sometimes I will force myself to do it just to feel like I belong in this age group. So it's just a constant kind of battle. I'm sure you might be able to relate.
0: No, it is. I think. I think too, like I just remember we used to joke all the time about when we joined a sorority, it would be, it was the running joke that, like, oh, you, you know, you pay for your friends and you instantly got like a hundred friends or something, or however many girls lived in the house. And, like you said, like it was everything was centered around drinking. And I just remember like some of the initial, like, you know, freshman events that you would go to were all around drinking at a frat house. And, you know, you're already like center stage because you're the new pledge class, but it's like, well, now there's boys and you don't want to seem lame. And it was just always like, I think it just got even more amplified in college because it was like, well, I do want to just make more friends. And, you know, the Greek community can be so big no matter what university you go to. I think just like when you're looking at like the Greek community compared to like the size of the university, there's just so many people that choose to go Greek, which is great. But I think I'm well, I I have my own thoughts now about the Greek system, I think coming out of college, because like you said, like it's just so different now to make friends outside of college and after the binge drinking. And I think for me, like, so for people who don't know, I, at the moment, like I'm drinking in moderation, but whenever I'm like training for stuff and I do a lot of like races and stuff quite often, I just choose not to drink. But even when I am drinking in moderation, I just find that like, I get more and more less interested in alcohol and just like if I do have a drink, I'll have one. And then I just always think about like that terrible hangover that I have anyways in my head. And it's just like, well, it's just not worth it. And I don't know, the more that I feel like I'm growing up. And I think the more that when you connect like your recovery with like an eating disorder, I think that that's also just like, it's a not a linear thing. And B, it's just never ending. And I think that like, you'll always, I think that I always still have like those thoughts from time to time. And I think that like the holiday season can be hard as well because you're around family and they make all this amazing food. And I think I've definitely gotten to a point where I just like, I don't, you know, I don't think about calories at all. And I don't think about, you know, anything restrictive, but I think it's just always going to be like, you know, I think that it's hard to be around like this age in your twenties when like you do have friends that have like body dysmorphia issues. And I remember living with a flatmate a few years ago that had issues around that. And it was just really hard to live with someone like that, like having gone through an eating disorder. And I think, you know, I think it's always hard to kind of remind yourself and you have to remind yourself that like, you know, you're still on this journey, no matter what. And I think like that book you were talking about sounds, you know, so perfectly, yeah, perfectly aligned with like, just what the journey looks like. And I think that you can connect like everything to health as well. And I think that like, in my recovery, it was so much about learning about like, actually, like what is nutritious for your body, and not just like focusing on, you know, like serving size or calories, mm-hmm. or like, for me, I look at like ingredients, and I want to know if it's, you know, if it's more natural and less processed, and you know, putting good things in my body and. I don't know, they're just like my mind thinks a lot more differently and I think like especially with like alcohol as well. Like if you think about it, it's just like you're literally putting poison in your body um when you're looking at it and I think just like I I remember doing so much research into that when I was um not drinking for 6 months and I think it's just like I don't know, the more that I grow up, the more that I kind of just like look back at those years and like those unfortunate years in high school and having an eating disorder and then college and having that like, kind of, like, feeling like I was recovered, but then being hit with, like, the binge drinking community and just Mm -hmm. feeling this weird, like, link of just, like, you know, I need to, like, restrict myself again. And I thought that I was done with the restriction process, but here I am again to, you know, do it so that I can, like, enjoy the weekend. And, Mm -hmm. you know, what is enjoyment when you're just binge drinking till you can't remember and you can't think straight, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like, what you said about
2: getting into nutrition, but not in a way that's unhealthy. Like for me, it's been really helpful to follow accounts that like combat diet culture. And originally I thought diet culture was just eating like the culture of eating healthy. So I wasn't really understanding why some people were like, Oh, you shouldn't eat healthy. Cause I still like to feed my body with nutritious foods. But what I learned was diet culture is actually eating in a way that places an emphasis on being thin and eating in a way so that you don't, Gain weight or that you look a certain way. So it's all aesthetically based. So learning about that kind of really helped me to challenge the diet culture scene. And I think what you said about, you know, living with people who, with like a flatmate who had struggles with that. I remember I lived with like five other roommates and it was never, never any other time did anyone talk negatively about their body until we were going out. Like until we were all getting ready and like putting on outfits, they would say like, oh, I look so fat in these pants or like, how did these look on me? Like, do I look big? And then we'd start taking pictures and I just would hear them say like horrible things about themselves. Like they look really fat. So the people that you surround yourself with can definitely contribute to those thoughts and make you feel like you want to restrict and go along with what they're doing. But I think what you said about, you know, being on this journey, no matter what is so important for both, you know, alcoholism and your eating disorder, you have to be so headstrong to not fall into the binge drinking culture or diet culture, because they're both so prevalent in our society. And even if like my roommates are talking bad about themselves, or they're not eating before they're going out, I have to be so strong in my own decision and say, you know what, no, I'm going to eat before I go out this was when i was drinking but i'm gonna eat before i go out um well even now if i don't drink i still gonna eat before i go out you know so just being strong in what you believe and if they do bring up things you know about their body saying you know that's that's not very kind like I've, i totally get how hard it is to like stand up to someone who's talking badly about themselves but one thing that i kind of wanted to bring up and i wanted to hear your thoughts on about like the going out community or just like going out in general and when girls specifically talk about how they look in an outfit this is obviously for the cis straight community but or maybe so that's all I can speak to but when girls like talk about how bad they look in an outfit or how good they look in an outfit I watched this YouTube video the other day about the male gaze and how girls really most some some girls dress in a way to please the male gaze and please men looking at them. And there are some women who are like, no, I only dress for me. And that's great. But I do believe like in college, especially when the hookup culture is so rampant, girls do like dress in a way and maybe the, the comments that they're making on their body, maybe they don't necessarily believe, but they think that's how guys are going to view them or other people are going to view them, which I think is, you know, what body image is. It's how other people, you think Mm -hmm. other people are going to view you. So I don't know. I just, that was the first time i ever heard the term the male gaze so i was just like thinking about my own eating disorder and like getting abs and thinking like am i doing this for myself or am i doing this because i want to please other people specifically the male gaze i don't know what what do you do you have any thoughts on that
0: yes i can't remember if i spoke about this in an episode but i really realized when i got sober in 2020 that when I like was heavily, heavily drinking and I'm, you know, I did it a little bit during my master's program as well. And I kind of realized that like a lot of the time that I would go out, I would definitely dress for the male gaze. And this was like, because I was, I was single for about six years. And it was mostly just because it was like the hookup culture plus like, you know, people just didn't want to commit and like that sort of a thing. And I think it was just always, I always had this thing in my head, like being single for so long that I was just like, you know, I always had these thoughts of like, oh, there must be something wrong with me, da, 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 da. but it was always stressing because you wanted to, you know, you want a guy to approach you and like buy you a drink. And then you want to, I don't know, feel wanted. And I just remember the nights where I wouldn't meet a guy or if I, you know, it, It almost felt like a fail to me in a way. And it just like, I remember those nights I would go home and I'd be so upset, but it's just like, when you think about the types of guys, like now that I just like, don't even drink like at all, really, I just think about the types of guys that are out and that were probably at some of the bars that I went to, you know, in college and stuff. And I'm just like, none of those guys are the guys that like, I truly want to be with. And like that I would want a serious committed relationship with. But for so long, it was like, it was everything about like the makeup, the hair, you know, what top I wore. And it was like, you know, making sure that you didn't eat enough. So you could like look good in that tiny skimpy outfit. But Like, I just remember like, especially when I was getting ready in the sorority and like you were surrounded by girls and everyone was like, you know, borrowing tops or like trying on different things, but they, you would hear those negative comments going around about, Oh, you know, I just don't look good. Or I look so fat or my legs look this and that. And it was just so much negative self-talk and. But it was always out loud. And it was like, especially like when you were taking photos, and it was like, oh, no, I need to redo this because this doesn't look right or this doesn't look right. And it was like just nitpicking at different parts of themselves. And I think that with some girls, I think that like I could, al- I couldn't, I can't like explain it, but I could definitely, you know, you can tell that like they're just fishing for compliments and they want you to tell them, no, no, you don't, like no. You know, you look so great. You look so pretty. Da, 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 da. But I think, I mean, genuinely, I do think that like a lot of girls struggle with the body dysmorphia thing. But I think, yeah, now that you point that out, like that was such a typical thing before a night out. It's just like you're all getting ready and then you go to take photos and it's like, oh my gosh, I look so. And it was never like really positive. Like I think mm-hmm. there were moments where you, you know, girlfriends would be really nice and just be like, oh my gosh, you look amazing. But like for the most part, it's just like, I think. I don't think it was ever like towards others but it was just always towards themselves and mm-hmm. I think it like contributes even more and that gets in like you know your head it gets in other girls' heads and you just don't even know like who you're around and what you know other people may be going through like if there's another girl in the room that might be going through an eating disorder or struggling with like food and struggling with like that mental battle and that journey and I think yeah that definitely doesn't help it at all Yeah I
2: it's so important too to talk about how, you know, other people's comments about their own body and living in maybe like, I wouldn't call it a toxic environment like that, but living with girls who speak poorly about themselves, they think, I think most girls think that when they're talking poorly about themselves, that it doesn't affect anyone. They're just doing it to themselves and they're just doing it for their own. I don't know, whatever reason, but you know, there are the people who are fishing for compliments. But besides that, I think it's important to mention that any comment that you make about yourself will affect other people, no matter what, because if you call yourself fat and you are a lot thinner than someone else that you're with, then they're going to think, okay, well, what, what am I, you know? And, and it's, it's kind of goes off like with drinking too, when other people are like pressuring you to drink or questioning your decision to drink, it says a lot more about them than it does about you. Obviously they are uncomfortable with how they look or sorry, with their drinking habits. So they're, you know, pushing them on to you and they don't want to be alone in their drinking. Um, And the same goes for people who talk poorly about other people's bodies. It's always usually a direct reflection of how they feel about themselves. So calling someone else fat or noticing someone else's weight gain is just more, more often than not about them. So I think that's a good connection between the two in an environment like that.
0: Yeah. I think too, like with the whole drinking thing. And when I was like deep in the drinking, it was just like, I don't think I ever really had the time between like, you know, going to work and then, or going to school and then going out and having nights out. I think it was just like, I would always, when I stopped drinking, I just like suddenly realized all these like times that friends, people that I thought were friends actually really upset me but because I was either so drunk and I don't know, I just, I don't feel like I processed a lot of things properly. And I think that that was like, what really came up for me last year. And I just realized like all these different things. And I like, when I stopped drinking so much, I also just realized that like, you know, so many friends that I thought were friends weren't actually my friends. And I've had like, I haven't had like a drastic change of like friend group, but I would definitely say that like, when you look at, me in 2019 and like pre-COVID and me now, these are two very different people who hang out with like two very different friend groups and just like, yeah, surround themselves with like much different people because I think when you stop drinking and you stop looking for ways to like cover things up and like cover issues that like you don't want to face and you don't want to battle or, you know, talk about, I think like, you know, I feel like I was look I, I, I feel like I was looking for. I don't know, I was looking for something in this like really toxic group of friends. And I just never got it. And I always felt so insecure. And I always felt so insecure when we went out and when we were drinking. And now it's like, I surround myself with people who like would never talk to me the way that those friends did. And would never like pressure me to drink or would never you know, do any of that sort of stuff, but like would rather like, you know, push you to be better and motivate you to be better. But I would, I'll definitely say that like when I stopped drinking, like a lot of people, I just noticed a lot of friends just either stopped talking to me or just like slowly stopped talking to me. And I think that that was like quite a hard thing as well. And I think I've seen like some of your posts and videos as well, kind of around it. And I think it's like a really harsh truth, but I think it's also just like, you know, at the end of the day, like you say, like you just want to surround yourself with people who are going to be there with you for like, you know, the long and like the journey and it's not just like you said, like this one stop thing where you, you know, you just like fix it and then it's done. It's just like this never ending thing that you're going to constantly be working on yourself to be better for yourself and like better for others. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think one quote that really speaks to all that and that has stuck with me is pay attention to how you feel after hanging out with someone. And there are definitely relationships where afterwards I just feel emotionally drained. I feel like they were talking about either themselves the whole time or they made me feel bad about my drinking or decisions that I wanted. And I just I feel, yeah, just who you surround yourself with is so important and surrounding yourself with people who support you and who are going to support you through throughout whatever decision you want to make and not talk down about themselves and not talk down about you, it makes such a difference. Like I know when I was living in that house, like I have nothing against the roommates that I was living with. Like I love them all, but it was definitely just the way they talked about their bodies. And they even, we even- I used it too, had this phrase SBO, skinny bitches only, where like, if we wanted to go to the gym, it'd be like, we have to SBO is kind of like a verb and a noun. And so just being in that environment, I just thought about my body a lot more. And now that I like live with my parents and I don't have anyone, like, I'm not really going out. I'm not, I don't have anyone commenting about their own bodies. I've definitely noticed myself. I've noticed myself thinking about my body less, but also not having the outside perspective of if I do have a thought and I speak it out loud like not having people like oh you look so good so it's been like a blessing and a curse to be like in my own head all the time but I've definitely noticed just I don't think I noticed at the time like using the term SBO and like doing all that was toxic but thinking about it now like I remember if I didn't want to go to the gym I'd be like oh but I have to SBO like I have to look good for like when we go out on Thursday and I've just noticed I don't think that way anymore. Like I don't think, I do think about exercise in terms of aesthetics at some points because I, like I said, I'm not fully recovered from my eating disorder, but I never think about it in a way of working out to look good for a certain event anymore. Like not for a weekend where I'm drinking a lot, not for if I'm going to Vegas with my boyfriend's frat. Like I don't think about it in that way. And maybe that's because I honestly haven't had any events to like look good for because I, I've i just, accepted that I'm a homebody, but I think it definitely helps just not having the pressure of, you know, drinking and like fueling yourself with just a bunch of empty calories. And another thing that I wanted to bring up quickly was like, I don't want to talk about alcohol in a way of just calories because I know some people can drink it in a healthy way. And I know that actually drinking alcohol can even be hard for people who have an eating disorder because everyone talks about how it's empty calories and all of that. So I don't want to like paint it in that light, but now. I feel like because I don't drink and because I'm more focused on my eating disorder, yes, not drinking is like I don't do it because I know how much better I feel and I know that sobriety is the right decision for me, but also in the back of my mind, I know there's like a little f- f- pro like a thought of mine that's telling me like I don't drink because of the empty calories. So, I think just that whole aspect of yeah, like working off working out to burn off calories, like I feel like I don't do that with like dessert like maybe I used to when I was in my really beginning eating disorder days but like if I'm gonna have dessert one day I don't like work out the whole week to like eat that dessert it's kind of it's it only really ever happened when I was drinking and I think that goes with like the going out culture and the outfits that you wear and wanting to look good for either the male gaze or whatever gaze or person you're trying to look good for and so yeah it's just it's I think that's also just not like solely stuck on that's not solely related to like college too that can also be for like people now who deal with it like who are post-grads like us but I feel like in college just definitely
0: heightened because of either you're living in a sorority with a bunch of people or you're going out more often no yeah I totally agree I think that like I was definitely thinking about the calories and thinking about how that you know was going to Mess me up or mess up my week or whatever. And I think, like, what you were saying there, sort of around desserts and alcohol. I think that, I don't know, I was even thinking about that for a second because I found myself when I was not drinking last year, just and whenever I'm not drinking when I'm training, I find that I enjoy desserts so much more because it's like, because you're not drinking and you're not like doing the thing like that everyone else around you is doing. I almost find that, like, that's like, you know, for some people, like a glass of wine is like what they have when they come home and like that's their treat. And like, for me, maybe it's like a chocolate sorbet or something. And just like something that like you get to like actually sit down and like really be present and really enjoy. Because I think also like with, with eating disorders, like I would always like only want to eat things that were like low calorie and like things that I didn't even like. And I think it's so different when you actually like really learn about food and learn about what's good for you and like, you know, put things together together that are like put together by like, you know, your own hands. And like, I don't know, it, it, it sounds really cheesy. But I think that like, there's definitely a lot to be said about like, you know, really being intentional about eating and like sitting down for meals and like thinking about, you know, not being like distracted or on your phone, but like really like just having a meal with yourself. And I think that there's a lot of meaning around that around just like really enjoying it. And mm-hmm. I think that I found that as well as just like when I can sit down and I can, I can enjoy this dessert because, you know, I don't, I don't really, otherwise I don't really have like that treat, I guess. Um, and you know, your treat can be different for everyone. Like whether it's like, whether you're into junk food or like, I don't know, anything else or like whenever people have like cheat meals, which also is like, that's also a very questionable <laughs> terminology mm-hmm. type of thing. But yeah, I don't think that that's like a weird thing. I definitely like feel like I relate to that a lot more. Now that I don't drink like nearly as much. And I think it's, I think it's really helped me in my, like just relationship with food. Cause I think that that can kind of fluctuate from time to time, depending mm-hmm. on like where I am in like what journey of life or, you know, whether it's, I'm really busy at work or I don't know. I think it's just hard and sometimes you get distracted, but I think I've really learned over time to like let go and like let go of that control. And I don't know, because it always would like feed into my anxiety and feed into like really being on edge like all the time. But I think the way that you share like, you know, how open you are about like your recovery. Like when I was recovering, I was so like quiet about it and I didn't tell anyone about it. And I didn't want to tell anyone until I was what until I could label myself as recovered. And even then I don't think I was actually recovered. I think I'd actually just made like decent progress. But I for so long like just didn't tell anyone about it. And I just remember this one moment, like I think it was my senior prom and I just like was super open about it. And I'm, I've made like one YouTube video ever, but like, it was all about my eating disorder. And I was just like, okay, I feel ready. And I feel like I'm now like allowed to talk about it. But I think like the way that you're going about this is like, so amazing because I don't think that like people do this enough and are like open about how hard recovery can be. And you're just so honest about like everything. And I love watching like, you know, videos of people, like trying those, like foods that they've been, their fear foods that they've been scared for of for like so long. And I think it's such, it's such a like great thing to be able to like share with people because, you know, if you think about the amount of like women and men that like go through eating disorders, just like, you know, I think that there's so many people that do watch you and like can totally connect to you whether or not they have, you know, an eating disorder or not. I think that everyone kind of struggles with the body image thing. So I think like watching someone like you kind of go and eat your fear food on a Saturday. I think it's just like, so motivating. Yeah. Thank
2: you. I, I feel yeah. like there is definitely in sobriety, both sobriety and eating disorder recovery. Like there is a difference between hearing from someone who's fully recovered and a difference between someone who's like going through it. Like, like if you're hearing about someone's sobriety journey and they're like five years sober and you're just getting started, it's nice to look to them for inspiration, but it You also want to hear about the person who's maybe six months sober, a little closer to where you're at so that it's, you can just relate to them more, which is something that I've kind of struggled with now that I'm a year and a half sober. I'm like, oh, are people not relating to me as much because I've been able to stay sober for so long. But I feel like when I was trying to get sober, like I was open about that. So I could relate to people in that way. And I still try and talk about how I still like can relate to things that they're saying, but same with like eating disorder. I love looking at people who are recovered, like Kate Noel. Um, she's fully recovered and I love looking to her for inspiration. But sometimes like it helps me to go back to her older videos when she was actually, she has a YouTube channel and has videos about her trying her fear foods when she wasn't recovered like two years ago. And sometimes that's more helpful for me to watch, just watching someone go through the process. Um, So speaking about it on in all phases is definitely interesting. And I definitely have struggled with the idea of oh, maybe I shouldn't talk about this because I don't want to trigger anyone because I'm not fully recovered. But I appreciate you saying that because it it makes me feel better about speaking about it, even though I'm not recovered. And then real yeah. quick, I just wanted to talk about the dessert thing of how you have like joy in eating dessert. Like I feel like one thing that really has become aware to me is I just when you're in eating disorder recovery, sometimes making and having fun with food is a way that people are recover. And that's a way that they can like actually eat is by making fun meals. And that's how I feel now. Now that I don't drink, I'm like, okay, what else can give me that joy? Um, And that's for me making a good meal or eating dessert. So in that sense, not drinking has kind of in addition to allowing me to recognize that I need to get help with this, it's also allowed me to Focus on cooking and baking, which I really like to do, and getting joy and
0: satiation through that. Awesome! Yeah, no, I totally agree. But I think, yeah, everything that we spoke about today was like so great and so on point. And I just want to give you a moment to like share and plug your social media outlets and ways that people can find you and because I know that so many people will be able to relate to you. And yeah, definitely don't stop creating the content that you do, because I think it's definitely so unique. And it's such a niche that like, I wish that I had in college. And I think that like, there are so many girls that are probably in college now, they're probably in high school that are finding you so relatable. So definitely keep making your content and keep going. Thank you
2: so much. That That really means a lot. So you can find me. I just launched a new website, (laughs) StephanieStill.com. So that I have my blog on there. I have sobriety resources on there. So different books. And then I also have a place where you can sign up for my meetings, which are for the younger sober and sober curious crowd. So anyone, you know, in college or post-grad age, it's really not limited. And then on Instagram, you can find me at at Steph M. Still and YouTube, Stephanie Still. Um, And I just make content, like you said, on sobriety, honest wellness, um, overcoming diet culture, eating disorder recovery, and just my lifestyle.
0: Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast again.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to be on as many times as you want me to. I love this podcast. I listen all the time. (laughs) Oh, thank you.
1: All right, everyone, that's going to wrap up another episode of the Resiliency and Running podcast. I really do hope that you enjoyed it. I will have all of Stephanie's info in the show notes of this episode so you can reach out to her. And I will also include the podcast Instagram in the show notes as well as links to some of the stuff that I mentioned as well. But I hope that you enjoyed this episode and I hope to see you in the next one. Bye.